So, hello again. Uh, welcome to Wellspring Worship Center. If you are new or you've just joined this, or if you check the link that starts at the sermon later in the week, I suppose. My name is James. I'm the pastor here, and this is our second week of looking at the cross of Jesus, uh, which might not have been clear from what I've just read, but I promise you it'll make sense in a little while. And what we're trying to do throughout this series is unlearn some of the more unhelpful ideas or understandings that we may have about the cross, and hopefully understanding more deeply God's love revealed through the cross. And last week I talked about abandonment. I talked about the line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and what we do with that line, and I shared that actually Jesus is acknowledging through that line uh, that God can never abandon him. Uh, God would never abandon him. God can't abandon him even if God wanted to and God doesn't. <laughs> and I also talked and reflected a little bit on a song, uh, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. That has that line, the father turns his face away. And I said the father does never, never turns his face away. He doesn't turn his face away from Jesus and he doesn't turn his face away from us that God does not abandon or forsake. And, uh, and this week, I'm taking another one of people's favorite worship songs and giving it like the old yellow treatment. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest, this is kind of a big one. I'm, I'm like scared to criticize this song because I think it's so much of a part of uh, evangelical worship and has been for the last 20-something years. Uh, this, this time, it's, it's in, in Christ alone that I have a problem with, not, not in the idea of in Christ alone, but the song in Christ alone. And... and to be clear, I'm not trying to discount the experiences that you may have had with God whilst, while singing these songs. Like, it's okay. God is merciful enough to work through imperfect songs, fortunately. Uh, it doesn't mean that those experiences of God's love are invalid. Uh, but I do think the song is pretty far from perfect, and I think it is responsible for perpetuating a less loving view of God. And that's a problem. So this line, this line that's been stuck in my head for a while now and that I need to deal with and get out and preach to y'all is that line, till on the cross as Jesus died, you probably know the words, the wrath of God was satisfied. The wrath of God was satisfied. Now, whether we realize it or not, this kind of language is incredibly common, especially in the evangelical world, when we talk about the way that God sees Jesus on the cross. And this seems to stem from this also quite popular idea from many Christians, as far as I can work out, that God must punish sin. God must punish sin. And so when Jesus, who has taken on our sins, more on that next week, it's a whole thing. Um, but God sees Jesus, who has taken on all of our sins. And so fortunately, God is able to punish Jesus rather than punish us. Uh, I've, I've heard it, someone told me this week, uh, that on uh, Jesus experienced the fullness of God's wrath on the cross, the fullness of God's wrath. But I don't think that's what happened. And I don't think that's what Scripture teaches us, which is far more important here, actually. But this image of a, a wrathful God is, a, is an interesting one, and it's, it's a powerful one, and it's a, a popular one, I suppose. 
But this idea of, of God's wrath being satisfied, like that for me, it conjures up this image of, of a God with who looks at humanity and is so like just bristling with anger that, that his sort of arm cocks back and his hand tenses into a fist. And as that fist comes flying towards humanity, just at the last minute, Jesus on the cross absorbs that blow. Someone had to absorb that blow. Someone had to satisfy God's wrath. And fortunately for us, it was Jesus. But this idea that God being wrathful and needing to punish sin is an interesting one to me. Like if we just, just break that down, and we're going to go into this a lot, but just break that idea down. If God needs to punish sin, like does that mean that there's another deity called vengeance that, that God serves? <laughs> is there some sort of more powerful God called wrath that God knows that he has to serve by punishing sin? Because that's something God just has to do. Uh, to be clear, God does not have those things. But this ruffle God idea, it's very prevalent. In a, in a podcast I recorded with my friend Danielle recently, uh, we dared to speak about the idea of God grieving uh, rather than the idea of God being wrathful all the time. And oh man, did people on the internet get very angry about the idea of God not being very angry all the time. Uh, and, and this cry that we hear from them is like, why, why are you making this so easy? Like, why aren't you taking this seriously? It's too easy. It's just too easy if God isn't angry. And, and that's one of the criticisms I do here a lot, if I'm honest. When I talk about God's love as being like radically inclusive and, and beyond our understanding, people go, well, that's too easy. <laughs> and you know what? We live in a world of retribution and debt and punishment. And, and so it's not a surprise that people think that it's too good to be true. That maybe God isn't wrathful. Maybe God doesn't need to punish sin. When I, when I try to plead with those folks, uh, but, but God is love. <laughs> like, God is love. <laughs> and, and the Bible tells us that fear has to do with punishment. I'll talk about that later as well. And, but the response is always, well, God is love, but. Yeah, God, is, God is love, but. And then that but usually is followed by something that, that feels really unloving. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, God is love, but, and and we see that a lot in the world. I think there's a lot of issues with that too. That people use this to kind of justify some some fairly unpleasant and unloving views. You know, when when someone says, "I'm not racist," but uh, it's usually before something racist, right? It's like, "I'm not racist, but I celebrate living in the most culturally diverse city in the world." Like, why did you say the first part? <laughs> It's used as like a caveat to then say something that is unloving or racist in this case. Like, I'm not sexist, but I just you know, don't think that women can teach us about Jesus. Well, nah, that, that kind of sounds a bit sexist, actually. God is love, but... God is love, but, but God must punish. And many would say that that punishment is what is happening on the cross, that Jesus takes on the sin of the world and God punishes him for uh, on a later podcast with Brad Jersak, who is my favorite theologian in the world and whom's ideas, or whose ideas I have stolen a lot of for these sermons, by the way. He, I, I was telling him about this. I'm like, what do I do about this? They just say, like, God is love, but, and then they say something unloving. 
Uh, and, and Brad said, James, God is love. And anything after that but is a heresy. There is nothing that we can add or we can take away from the complete truth that God is love. So, so like, let's, let's rest that just for a second. I, I really don't think there is a more dangerous heresy that we can commit by adding anything to that. God is love, but anything after that is heresy. God is love, but nothing. God is love, but nothing. God is love, but but that seems too easy. But here's the thing: Why do we find this so hard to believe? Like this, this is where it gets kind of important, I suppose. Why is it we reject that God is love, but nothing? Why is it that the idea of God being love, no ifs, no buts, is so difficult for us? Like, why do we look at the cross and think that the reason it is good is because God was able to redirect His wrath at Jesus instead of us, but like punish and be wrathful towards? His son, who scripture tells us he loves, with whom he's well pleased, this doesn't feel like very good news. It doesn't really seem like the actions of a loving father either. But where do we get this idea? Like, I've honestly, I'm, I've been fascinated with this. Is like, where do we get this idea that God must punish sin? Like, God doesn't have a choice about it. But this isn't rhetorical. Like, I'm genuinely asking this question: Where do we get this idea? Because you know where that idea isn't in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that God has no choice but to punish sin is, it's not, it's heresy, like it's not in here. <laughs> I, I know that's really boring to say, well, the Bible, but like, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, for some reason, <laughs> for some reason, we seem to think that God can't forgive sins because God wants to forgive sins. Like, just, just throwing that out, like, maybe that's something that God wants to do. Maybe God likes the idea of forgiving sins. Because, <laughs> you know what? That happens all the time in Scripture. That's, like, all the time. <laughs> I, I read out Hosea earlier, but, again, I encourage you to read the whole book. Because, and it, like, genuinely, it's not a long book. Like, you can read it in, like, a little while. But the, the whole book is, is really heartbreaking because it shows us this kind of one-sided nature of God's love and how he just, God's heart breaks over and over for, for a people that like hate him and despise him and, and do cruel things, and, and yet he still loves them. And I read it earlier, I'll, I'll just, the middle of that piece where he's, uh, of Hosea 11, especially where God just goes, I'm done. Like, you've broken my heart for the last time. I can't do this anymore. And, and then he says, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? My heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger or wrath. I will not devastate Ephraim. You know why? Because I'm God. <laughs> I'm not a man. I'm the Holy One. So I can forgive sins. You know why? Because I want to. Like the point over and over in Hosea and in the Bible isn't that God forgives because he punishes someone. He forgives because he is love. He forgives because God is love, but nothing. 
isn't forgive because he's able to pour out his wrath on someone else. He doesn't say, well, I'm not going to devastate Ephraim, but let's just like wreck someone else. Then, then I'll have got my fill of wrath. <laughs> it's not because someone or some people have been punished. He forgives because he loves. But that's too easy. God is love, but he, he must punish sin. A real like hard time with this, don't we? So here's another really predictable move for a preacher. I probably this is as cliche as I come. Like, look at the Bible. Well, that's interesting. You know what we're gonna do? Look at Jesus. That's a cool thing to do. Let's look at Jesus' example just to really blow our minds. Like Jesus, who said, what does he say? I only do what I see the Father doing. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. <laughs> There's never a point that you can see what Jesus does and go, well, that's different to how God would do it. Never. It's never the case. It's never the case. Jesus can only reveal the heart of God. So if, if God must punish sin and, and Jesus can only do what God does, surely Jesus must punish sin. That's a logical jump. <laughs> so let's, let's look at the ways that Jesus punishes sin throughout his earthly ministry. This is fun to do. So really early on in Jesus' ministry, he's, he's at the well and a, an adulterous woman. And remember, the, the punishment for adultery is death, death by stoning. And so the way that Jesus punishes this woman, who is guilty of adultery, the way that Jesus punishes this woman is, uh, is by having a meal with her, drinking with her, and then commissioning her to be the first evangelist to a Gentile town <laughs> in all of Scripture. <laughs> this woman is the first one to do it, this adulterous woman. Uh, later on in, uh, in the Scriptures, uh, Jesus has brought another adulterous woman. People like to do this to him occasionally. And again, well, the punishment for this adultery should be uh, death by stoning. And you know how Jesus punishes this woman? <laughs> well, he basically tells off the people <laughs> that want her executed and then sends her on her way. God, so Jesus punishes sin by, by protecting the, the woman that's guilty and, and sends away everyone else. It's an interesting punishment. Let's, let's look at people closer to Jesus. What about Peter? Peter's pretty close to Jesus. Uh, if anyone knew the rules, it would be Peter, first one to recognize Jesus as Messiah. I'll be there till the very end, says Peter. Even if they all leave, I won't. I'll die for you if I have to. What does Peter do? He abandons Jesus. <laughs> abandons Jesus. That's a pretty big one, right? You'd think. Abandoning Jesus. If anything needs punishment, surely it's abandoning Jesus. You know how Jesus punishes Peter? He cooks him breakfast. <laughs> God must punish sin, and this ultimate punishment is, is cooking Peter fish for breakfast. <laughs> God must punish sin. This is how Jesus acts. Judas! Judas handed over Jesus to die! <laughs> like, is that the greatest sin of all time? Argument, like, I don't know, like, if there's a, how the hierarchy works, but, like, that's a pretty big one. I think that giving over your friend to be executed by the authorities, who is, like, the most perfect messiah of mankind, might rank pretty high. <laughs> you know what Jesus does as punishment? Has a meal with him. <laughs> As, as Jesus hangs on the cross and, and bloodied and beaten and 
barely able to breathe and people walk by and they see him and they spit and they sneer and they deny who they say you are not the son of god and we know it like they deny jesus to his face at his at his lowest at his most broken you know how god how jesus punishes those onlookers that deny him and abuse him you know how he punishes them father forgive them If God has to punish sin so always, why does Jesus punish sin so never? I don't get it. I'm angry again. I don't want to sound angry. I'm sorry I sound angry. I'm not angry. I'm excited. But still, it's like, yeah, but that James is too easy. It's too easy. God is love, but yeah, he's still got to punish sin. And our language and our music and our catchphrases just imply this all the time. Like we use those phrases like Jesus paid for our sins and, and we don't really think it through. And then we think, well, he paid the price because someone had to be the object of wrath and it was him. So he's done that for us. Like ultimately the wrath of God needed satisfying. And we sing these songs over and over again and they take root and we don't examine them. To, to be clear as well, like, I don't want you thinking I don't take sin seriously. Like, I really take sin seriously. I mean, like, sin leads to death all the time. Like, all the time sin leads to death. The sins of misogyny and racism are, are the sins that are responsible for those deaths in Atlanta. Like, sin leads to death all the time. But to then make that punishment is a real jump that I don't see. Sin comes at a great cost. <laughs> but the idea that Jesus paid for our sins doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense because who did Jesus pay? Did Jesus pay God? So God pays God for our sins? It doesn't make any sense. Does Jesus pay Satan? That's giving Satan a way too much credit. Who's Jesus paying in this scenario? I don't get it. Jesus doesn't pay for our sins. Understand, and to be clear, like Jesus is divine, perfect, and his life, death, and resurrection is, is central to everything I want to do and teach and share and be. But understand, Jesus doesn't pay for our sins. God pardons our sins. You know why? Because God wants <laughs> to pardon our sins. That's why. Now, you might think it's too easy, but it is what it is. Like the language that God pardons our sins, we see this. We see this all the time in Scripture. You know what a pardon means? Does a pardon mean that you're punishing someone else? Nope. A pardon means what? The charges are removed. They're expunged. They're not there anymore. God pardons our sins. It doesn't mean they're not real. It doesn't mean they're not damaging. It doesn't mean like we don't take them seriously. It means that He doesn't need to punish someone for them. The pardon doesn't mean that someone is punished in our place. It means the charges are gone. We, again, we see this language in Scripture, and yet we run from it. Like Psalm 103, I'm sure y'all know, well, sorry, I don't assume people know this, because you know what, there's people that don't watch sermons that much, and then they watch, and I'm delighted uh, that you do. Uh, <laughs> so I don't want to assume that anyone knows anything. But Psalm 103, the 12th verse says, 
as far as the east is from the west, so I will remove their sins from them. We're like, yeah, but he doesn't. Like, okay. <laughs> Literally just quoting. <laughs> how, how do we deal with this one? Like, uh, Isaiah 43, 25. I spent some time here this week. Okay. And God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Why is God forgiving sins? Because someone's punished? No, because he's God. Because he wants to. Like, this should really give you chills. Like, this should make you really excited. Like, God, much like he says in Hosea, like, no, I, I'm not going to be ruffled. You know why? Because I'm God. In Isaiah, he says, you know what? I'm going to forget your sins. You know why? Because I'm God. Because that's who I am. It somehow... We think that God looks at us and, and because he is God, he remembers our sins. Like, no, he looks at us and because he is God, he remembers his sins, our sins no more. You know why? Because he is God but nothing. The idea that God is love but remembers your sins is heresy. Is God is love but nothing. <laughs> like, honestly, I mean, I don't know how many Christian weddings people have been to here, like collectively hundreds, thousands. And the majority of those weddings, 1 Corinthians 13 is read out. And we hear that love is patient and love is kind. And it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. And it's slow to anger. And then what? It keeps no record of wrongs. Do we think God is love or not? I, I Like for me, it's just that simple now. God is patient. God is kind. God doesn't envy. God doesn't boast. God is slow to anger. Remember, slow is really important. <laughs> God doesn't keep a record of wrongs because God is love but nothing. How can Jesus pay for sins when those sins have already been removed? They've already been forgotten. We've been pardoned. There's nothing to pay. Like, What wrath is there to satisfy when there's nothing to be wrathful about? Understand, like, Jesus loved completely, and Jesus loved perfectly, and far too often in the world, mistreatment and, and even losing your life is a predictable outcome for loving the way that God loves us. But it doesn't mean there's any wrath towards Jesus from God. From us, maybe. Like, sure, <laughs> we get mad at people that tell us to love each other all the time. We might punish Jesus, but, but God doesn't. Let's not project the worst of ourselves onto the God who is love but nothing. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm going to end here. Um, may, maybe for some of you, um, there's still this, this feeling that it's too easy. Like, it seems too good to be true. And, and, and to that, I want us to reflect and I want us to, uh, to find ourselves at the foot of the cross. And, and we look up at the one who loved more perfectly and fully than any human being ever did before and ever could since. And, and as this uh, 
perfect human gasps for air. And then the hours of torture have robbed him of that vibrancy that, that was so obvious in life. And the abuse and the mocking. And then, I don't want to trigger people, but, but the, the abuse that Jesus suffered is, is really horrendous. Like it would have, they, they did their best to dehumanize Jesus and they couldn't because it's impossible because you can never rob Jesus of that humanity, but they tried. And, and as we look up and Jesus looks down, we, we get to ask him that question, like, isn't it too easy? And, and Jesus, I think, would say, no, it isn't. But I love you. God is love, but nothing. Let's not get fixated with this punishment idea. Like 1 John 4.18 says that there's no fear in love. You know why? Because perfect love drives out fear. And you know why? Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let God make you perfect in love. Because there's nothing to fear. And God is love, but nothing. Amen? God, we, um, we pray that we know you more completely and more fully. We ask you in your name. Amen.